Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the CC Podcast Conversations. Got Andrew Nordstrom with me. How you doing, Andrew? Good, Matt. How are you? Very good. We've got another interview today with Mike Reynolds. It's not another interview with Mike Reynolds. It's another interview <laughs> yeah, that happens right. to be with Mike right. Reynolds. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First one since NRB. So uh, we're, we're sort of prolific there for a couple of weeks and then uh, uh, had to take a break to get back into the swing of things. We cranked out like, what, 16, 18 interviews? Yeah, yep. I and, think 18. And so I was just actually talking to my mom the other day. And when she's doing stuff around the house, she'll turn an interview on. I forget which one she listened to. I think maybe it was Greg Hinselman. Mm-hmm. And I said, you haven't listened to that? That's like a year plus old. Yeah. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not all caught up. So if my mom's not caught up, most of our listeners aren't no, caught up. So. No, that's okay, though, because, you know, the the that's sort of the beauty of our, of our different podcasts right now. Um, the Daily Dose is sort of meant to be a stay caught up, um, you know, try to be uh, listen to it once a day because it's it's you know short digestible um, quick fire you know uh, listen to it in five to ten minutes and the broadcast comes around once a week broadcast is once a week yep and then now uh, the conversations are sort of you know hey if I got I'm driving to you know town two hours away there you go I get something to listen to so after our NRB interviews we were talking actually you my wife and I were there together so we had quite yep. a bit of time to talk and kind of process stuff. And after the flurry of all those interviews, Jen brought up a thought that we both thought was a good thought about you got all these stories, and some of them are amazing stories. I mean, some of them are incredible. Pretty much all of them are. I mean, uh, in their own way, they're all uh, something just remarkable about what God's doing in people's lives. But we want to guard ourselves and guard the ministry from just amassing a bunch of cool stories yeah like the purpose of this ministry is to help people grow in their relationship with christ to understand god better to understand his word better and so we haven't come up with the catchy little no slogan or whatever right but uh we want these to be transformative not just interesting or entertaining right there's already dozens and hundreds probably of podcasts out there that you know i mean even before they were podcasts you had and now the rest of the Paul story. Harvey. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, those are mostly just interesting stories. And, and you know, yeah, you could take some inspiration out of them, I suppose. But uh, by and large, you know, that's been around for a long time. And, and we're, you know, that wouldn't be unique. What what we care about is, um, you know, for people to listen to that and say, you know, hey, I relate to this somehow, or I can use that in my life, or that, that can help me grow uh, my faith. It, that's That's what we're going for. And in every story, I think I see at least a little bit of myself Yeah. at some point in each person's story. I mean, every one of us Absolutely. can relate to that. The other thing that's fascinating to me is, as I've heard feedback, and by the way, if anybody ever has feedback about these conversations, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at christiancrusaders.org. But I was just talking to a guy the other day who listened to my interview with Peter Salmon. 
yeah. which you were on. That's your yeah, brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, right? Yep. And uh, I forget exactly what jumped off the off the audio file and kind of impacted him, but it was something I remember going, "Huh, I forgot that that was even said." Yeah. It didn't really have much impact on me, right? And so the Lord uses this all exactly, exactly, and and just like He has done, right? I mean, that's um, even for for church services and sermons and and songs and stuff like that. Uh, right. He's been using those for thousands of years now and, and honored to be a part of that. And, and so, yeah, we, we want to trust, uh, put these out there in faith and trust that God will use them, um, in ways that we anticipate and in ways that we don't. Amen. So Mike Reynolds, what do you think of this interview? Yeah, it was excellent. Um, I, I, uh, I likened it a lot to, to actually our very first one back, uh, when we interviewed Ron Gruber, um, a lot of parallels there just based on, on his, uh, upbringing and, and sort of that rough background, uh, drugs, gangs, um, you know, and then, and then his pretty radical conversion and, and the way that God has pointed him in a different direction now. A little bit of a spoiler alert, it is similar to Ron's. Um, Ron was convicted of murder. Mike was within a smidge yeah. of being convicted of murder. That's a crazy story. Yeah, that's a great story. We, we let's not spoil it any further. But that's uh, that story. That's definitely the standout uh, clip from it. You know, to as far as as a, a dramatic um, wow moment in in his life. You know, the, the where you can clearly see God's hand even before he was a believer. Uh, you can clearly see God's hand in, at work in that situation. I don't know if I told you this, but after the interview, Mike stuck around in my office, and mm-hmm. I was asking him about some of the places he was at in California and different. Yeah. He and so we got on Google Maps, uh-huh. and like, did I tell you about this? Yeah, and then you you found the the actual location where this story happened, and found where he grew up. Yeah. and he's telling me like, you know, you could do Street View. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he could not believe, like, dude, this is like, yeah, I used to hang out right there on that corner, and this and this. Yeah. And, we were looking for a couple other things that we never found, but sure. um, that's a long time ago for him. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's 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 it, you know it's really valuable to look back at your history and, and see where you come. I mean, that's something uh, actually that it, it sort of um, reminds me of of you read through kind of the Old Testament, um, Joshua, Judges, Kings, Samuel, you know, in their Chronicles. And, and so many times you come across this pattern where, um, where if, if the king or the people or prophets or whoever are, are looking back at their history and reciting their history and, and talking about this is, you know, God did this for us and God saved us from this. Remembering. Yes, exactly. You know, God brought us out of Egypt. God saved us from, you know, from Pharaoh with his play. All those, when, when they do those things, that's when... Um, that's when they are thriving as a people. You know, God never pulls his love from us, but but that's that's when those people are at their best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then conversely, when, when God has to remind them of that because mm-hmm. they're not doing it on their own, uh, that's when they're sort of at their lowest. That's when mm-hmm. they're infighting with each other and, and not thriving and, and all of that. And so same way here to, to, to you know, take the time, uh, especially with these with these really dramatic stories, um, to look back and see, you know, what God did yeah. and when he did it and, and how that's brought somebody to a better place now. Uh, that's really valuable. And that's really valuable for all of us, even without uh, the, the really dramatic stories uh, involving uh, drugs, guns, violence, all of that too. Totally. Well, hey, 
enjoy this interview with Mike Reynolds and may the Lord inspire you or challenge you in some way uh, to follow him more closely as a result of hearing this. So thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Good to be with you again. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. I am in my studio with Mike Reynolds. You may never have heard of him, but you're going to remember him after you hear some of this story. Mike, thanks for being here. Yes, no problem, man. Good morning, or I should say early afternoon. Whatever it is. Yes. Some of these people might be listening to this middle of the night. So. You got that right. <laughs> hey, I've got to say that, huh? <laughs> so uh, this is going to be another one of those incredible stories and uh, a lot of different facets. Mike, I've known you for several years. And I've known you, I think, completely after you came to Christ, maybe yes. just a little bit before, because you were hanging around here before you became a Christian. We're going to get to that story. Yeah. Um, but one of the descriptions that you said was that before before you knew Christ, your world was very black and white. And we'll get a black and white in terms of no color, kind yes. of mundane, kind of... Uh, Dull roar, you know. It's... Yeah. And when you come to Christ, it's been color ever Phenomenal. since. Phenomenal. That's I an mean, yeah. interesting description. Very interesting. I and know. before we get to the color, yes, sir. I want to, I want to hear some of the black and white. So, give us a little bit of your upbringing. We've talked a little bit in by your own admission. You come from a very dysfunctional family. We're raised in California. Uh, your family was tied into some motorcycle clubs, MCs. Yes, sir. Yep, a couple um, of them. So start wherever you want to start, and then I'm going to ask questions, and we'll go from there. Yeah, we were just, you know, where I came from is uh, San Bernardino. I will go there. I won't give you the town in and around it, but it doesn't really matter. But, you know, San Bernardino was kind of interesting. It was, at one point in time, a beautiful place. They said that, uh, you know, San Bernardino was so beautiful. At one point in time, they said that God made this, so when he came to Earth to hang out, this is where he'd go. <laughs> it's beautiful. You know, they had a mission, hot springs. I mean, it had everything. And uh, I lived in the section where everything dissipated. You know, I lived in the wash area, no street lights, no sidewalks. We kind of came up, motorcycles. We had people just everywhere, just crazy. And, uh, yeah, so that was my black and white terms of what I meant about that. You know, you, you go to school. I mean, it was so dysfunctional. My family was kind of, uh, I went to school to about sixth grade. I made it to, you know, and then we... Uh, plopped on out of there anyway, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like you drop out, go and do that, and you went and did your thing, which I call get, getting mine, mm-hmm. getting mine, getting mine, getting mine. And uh, so that was a very black time for me. Tell me about your family, your mom, your dad, all that. My mom and dad, they kind of married. My mom had me when she was 14 years old. So uh, we basically raised each other. You know, she uh, was... Uh, promiscuous or whatever, I'm not really sure how to really state that anyway, there I was. You know, and uh, so my grandma and everybody, they never had men. I was raised mainly by women because of the simple fact is they never could get along with men, I guess, long enough to do anything. Anyway, they still lived a pretty radical life. You know, I had motorcycle clubs coming in and out of my house at all hours of the night, um, except for Granny's house. You know, Granny's house was a solid crib, so that's really, we, we would go every now and then just to kind of re-up on life. And Did she live far from you? Actually, no, brother. She lived probably about five and six blocks away. But amazing, it was like another country when you went five blocks over. Hmm. You know, so it was kind of really neat that way. But, you know, craziness, solitude, you know. So Granny 
granny's actually your great grandma, right? Yeah, great great grandma. Explain yes. that. Okay, great great grandma. Uh, she was uh, born way back. I think my grandpa was born eighteen hundreds, and she was born in nineteen o two. Okay. And uh, they came to California on a covered wagon, man, out of uh, the Indian camps of Anadarko, Oklahoma. Hmm. So they stayed with all the Indians of Blackfoot. They're, they say I'm about a quarter Indian, too, you know. So I think we got some Indian mixed up in there somewhere. Don't really know. They said my, that my great-great-great-grandfather, way back when, picked his name, which is R.J. Reynolds, off a billboard of tobacco. They had to have a last name to get married. So your name, Reynolds, comes from the billboard. From a billboard. That's right. That's what they told me in, in life, that he had to pick a number. You know, so he was like Long Beaver or something. But, you know, you can't put that on a right. first or a marriage certificate. So he picked R.J. Reynolds, <laughs> which is crazy, man. So here I am. I'm a, you know. Anyway. You know, and you got the name, but you don't got yeah, the the uh... got no funding involved in that. You know, that's what I always told him. I said, I got the name, but there ain't no money coming with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because you know what? I, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Granny was the one we stayed with. Sorry about that. And uh, we had my other grandma stayed there, and my aunt Kathy, and you know, and I had uh, my mom and Gayla, and you know, just uh, we'd all be in and out of Granny's. You know, that was it. But if we had a place, then that would still be the same. You know, it'd be, like, not the same, but you know what I mean? It'd still be a place where we stay, but that's where all the gangs came and all the people and in and out, up and down, around. Lots of alcohol, lots of drugs. How was it that, I mean, how was it that your place was the place where they all came? Why, why well, didn't they go some other place? I, I'll tell you something about that one. I'm not really too sure on how that was, but I think my mom and my aunts and my grandmas, and they were all pretty affiliated. They were from there. Yeah. So being from there when they were young. Yep. You know, so this just everybody knew them, you know, and then, you, you know, you know how it is, man. You meet somebody, you know somebody, then you know that person, then this person comes, and then you're involved with this one and that one. So this happened yeah. to be the harbor. Most of my dads and stepdads, I should say, um, or boyfriends or whatever would stay at our crib or whatever, you know, and then lots of people come over. So it was normal hangout. It was a pretty big house. Mm -hmm. You know, we had an acre and a half, and there's 200 motorcycles in the back every weekend. You know, but uh, when it really got serious, you know, that's when mom says, pack up, we're going to take you to granny's. Yeah, so and, and what does really got serious mean? Well, it got serious like uh, people, things, uh, places, uh, uh, money, uh, lots of drugs. Uh, like back in the day, that you know, they used to buy the quaaludes and you know, reds and blues and uppers and downers and everything. Well, they'd have jar after jar laying around the house, you know, and I don't think my mom wanted us to get a get our means on it because I had little brothers and sisters that really didn't understand. They sound like a jiggle box, <laughs> yeah. you know, but these ain't jiggle boxes. These are dope, man. Yeah. So anyway, that's probably why, just because too many things hanging around, too many influential mm -hmm. drove me into drugs. <laughs> Have you done any, um, well, it's interesting because I did an interview with a guy named Ron Gruber. Sure. Ron Gruber was, uh, enforcer for the sons of silence people who are interested in that interview is the very first episode of this podcast that we're listening to now so you can go back and listen to that interview i'm going to and rod had a or ron had a, a very uh dysfunctional upbringing his mom and dad biological mom and dad were married but mm -hmm. it was very abusive and very dysfunctional and the dysfunction is what really pushed him to the gang. He was one of the, they, they actually changed the age limit for the gang he was in. So he yeah. and his brother could join, could join yeah. because they had proven themselves worthy of being able to join as minors. Yeah. They were so determined to have something stable because there was so much instability that that's how they got there. And it, it totally makes sense. 
Does any of that resonate with your story? Oh, big time. You know what? Like I said, the affluence of France, everybody was kind of dysfunctional where I was. Everybody had an alcoholic dad or abusive mom or they were split up. You were living with your mom or your nobody ever lived with dads. I don't know why that was around there. We had a few brothers that were that, but we all made a gang of our own when we were kids. And we hugged and loved on each other. Mm -hmm. We got our own beer and stuff, you know, and and we would have a party built clubhouse, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, we did all this stuff, and you know why? Because it was all we'd had. You know, if you don't get love from your parents, brother, you're going to get love from somewhere, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's what you want. You want that brotherly love, sisterly love. It didn't matter. We had girls, too, Mm -hmm. you know, and... uh, it was just somewhere you went because you knew it almost felt like you were going home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was always so cool. Hey, man, let's go get some beer, man. We'll all hang out. Mm-hmm. We'd hang out all weekend with each other, man. But shoot, sometimes even week. There are some people. I'm going in a different direction yep, that fine. we didn't really talk about here. Yeah. But there are some people in some sociological studies that have been done that would say in non-spiritual terms. Sure. Now, now, you and I are believers. Yes, we And are. so we know that the core problem is spiritual yes behind everything like if we're not following god's design if we're not surrendered to jesus christ yes just that we were made for that and when we don't do that things go haywire yep they go south every time so i'm not talking about in spiritual terms i'm talking about in, in worldly sociological terms um a lot of people would say that fatherlessness is a in our country epidemic it's everywhere number one problem and b it is the root cause of a ton of issues, whether it's drugs, um, violence, uh, even some of the, the sexual uh, yeah, stuff that, and, kind of and just kind of orientation and all kinds of different things. Having grown up in that and now having come out of that to be a believer, yeah. have you thought about that at all? Yes, I have. I've thought about it quite a few times. You know what? It's somewhere from going from crying at night because you absolutely were alone, man. Mm-hmm. You know, to where I'd get so dysfunctional at night. I'd go outside, man. I'd rock on my swing and cry. Hmm. You know why I cried? Because I had nothing or nobody. Hmm. Okay. My granny is what I had, but she was so older up in the years that she couldn't do everything that we did. She walked around with a walker and stuff. But when you wanted a hug... You go to granny, man, mm-hmm. and that would make you feel good. Mm-hmm. But it used to make me so darn mad when my mom would drop me off and my brothers and sisters, and we wouldn't even have clothes, man. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't even have clothes because, you know, she just drop us off and take off. Mm-hmm. And, and, know, and part of that goes back to your mom not having a man to provide. That's right. So that she could nurture or whatever. Yeah, I'd really like to say that, point that out too, man. You know what? My mom did the best she could with what she had. I think she could have done it better or different, obviously. Can't we all? But I don't blame her. You know, I made my own decisions after a while to where I went out and sold my own drugs because I wanted a car or if I wanted a motorcycle. I used to own three trucks, two motorcycles, had a house, and all that from methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that was, back in them days, that's what I was calling getting mine. You know, because I didn't care what it took to get it because it's in that black and white world. Yeah. You know, because that's where you thought everything was. You know, it's just the way it is. You don't, you know, now I think about that after I got saved because it's like, you know what, there was nothing. Everybody thought, well, you just, sprouted up in the world man you're here to make your money and die with it or mm-hmm. without it you know it's mm-hmm. there's got to be more man you know mm-hmm. there just had to be 
And then I'd run around and start doing that. There ain't no God on this earth. Why would he put me in a gosh-forsaken place on this planet living where I am and why? I said, there's no God. And he would tap me on my heart. Boom, boom. And I knew it was him too, but I just could not admit it and I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's really a strange you, you said that your granny lived close to a church and she was yes. bound and determined to be in church. Yes, sir. And so you, you were at least exposed to some you, biblical things, yes. Do you remember? What do you remember about that? Fire and brimstone preacher, man. Faith Assembly of God, man. He got up and he whooped you on the head with that Bible if you didn't think you were paying attention. Really good dude. Pastor Holcomb, greatest preacher, I mean, that I grew up with. But he'd scare you into listening. You know, there was no sitting in the aisle sleeping, just put it that way. But I had to push my granny up the road because she couldn't walk. She had to, so we pushed her in a wheelchair. Five, five houses up. Yeah, five houses and we turn into the driveway, we get her in there. And then after church was over, we'd go back, mm-hmm. you know. But that, if you stayed at Granny's you, and it was a weekend, you went to church. We had fried chicken dinner every Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was fried chicken and potatoes, man. Everybody looked forward to that. You could see people harboring around our house. I guess Granny could cook. She's an old girl that keeps them old, what do you call them, cast iron skillets, yeah, you know? Yeah. Oh, brother, she'd have them fired up every day. That's fast. So tell me about, like, siblings, um, brothers and sisters around. You said you had some younger I, siblings. Yeah, I have a, my, my sister was always around, but she was with Granny, my other grandma, all the time because she took her in. I think my mom and my grandma, they didn't get along very well because my mom was sort of the black sheep. But my mom had kids, and she took my sister and would bring her and raise her while we stayed at Granny's. Yeah. Okay, so, so I had a little grandma, brother, too took your sister yes your great grandma took us took you she's the one who yes. lived by the church and yeah. cooked well and all that stuff yes sir we had a cot we had on the side we had two cots in granny's room papa had his room which you know papa was cool but he lived on the other side of the house done his thing he smoked chewed mm-hmm. you know drink uh yukon jack <laughs> so anyway that's what he did you know he says oh gotta knock down my cataracts a little bit you know it's like what are you talking about cataracts oh yeah anyway it was funny but now, at anyway, you know, that's what they did. So we always stayed in Granny. So she didn't have enough room for all of us, but Nana would take my sister because mm-hmm. she was a female, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she just wanted to raise a kid right. Yeah. And so did your mom have siblings? Yes, she had a brother. She has two brothers and a sister. And so how many grandkids are hanging out at Granny's house? A bunch or just you guys? Just us. We were basically the... the, the everybody else had kids and they were raising them, but... My mom, for some odd reason, would always just drop us. That's why I was telling you before. It yeah. was kind of like so she could go and make her way, yep. make a life, and yep. then come back and get us. Yep. That's what she'd do. Yep. But then all of a sudden she'd get involved with his crazy man or whatever, you know. Um, oh, there's another one. I'll tell you a later story on that one. But um, it's almost like Forrest Gump without being Forrest Gump. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Been through every part of life, man. You know what I'm saying? Up, down, sideways. <laughs> It's pretty cool, but I like where I ended up. Yeah. You know, so that's that's a good thing. But anyway, you know, Mom would try to make it famous. She'd come back, okay, let's go. Got you a house, you know. Okay, well, that's cool. Got us a house, mattresses on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, no TV. Mm-hmm. But we'd stay there, and then my mom go, okay, I'm going to work. Well, she wouldn't come back for three or four weeks. Wow. You know what I mean? And so here we are. So I had to do something. I knew a few influential brothers of my own that I had that I said, hey, man, you know, we need to make some money because we got to feed each other. 
you know, the, my brother and sister are hungry. I, you know, T-shirts are dirty. His socks are dirty. You try to send them to school. It was just insane. And you don't try to keep up. And that's when I really backed up. And I backed up and I said, listen, man, you guys are going to go to Granny's. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so then I went and lived on the streets for a long time. Your mom, just if anyone's curious, is still alive, but she has dementia and lives in California. Yes, sir. Uh, pretty severely. Pretty Do- real severely. Uh, and then are you in touch with brothers and sisters at all? No. Okay. We are all so dysfunctional. I love them to death, but I love them from afar because yep. we just never got along, man. Yep. We, you know, just for this and that reason. And You said something about Christmas and Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, insane, bro. Yeah, we'd come there, man. It was more of a brothel time, you know what I'm saying? Because it was just, it was drugs. They'd come loaded. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Never got to eat turkey. I don't think we ever had a full sit-down dinner because somebody's knocking the door open or they were so drunk that they had to go out in the yard and fight out in the yard. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, Granny, she mattered and mattered the old bull outside, you know, but uh, it was just, then we'd end up leaving. Yeah. So you're in California until about when in your life? I was, I left, I left uh, in 90, 91. I went to Vegas. And uh, Vegas, my mom had up there, she met a guy, he's a percussionist, dynamite jazz player. And, uh, but he used to play gigs in Las Vegas, so they'd go up there and stay. So she asked me to come up, you know, so we come up and I got me a place and, and uh, got a job there and everything. And that was a long, slow road to uh, alcoholism. So you're about four hours from L.A. Yeah, about four Vegas. hours, yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of... You know, that kind of thing up there. You got the good side and the bad side. We lived on the bad side. So, you know, it's just, I functioned. Mm-hmm. I functioned, brother. I ended up earning myself and made a car, and I got a car. And mm-hmm. So if you're, kind of if you're uh, in California around all these drugs, you're selling some drugs sure. to make money and all that stuff, you get caught, prosecuted at all? You know, I got lucky, man. I never, for once, part of my life that I could say honestly true, I never got convicted for meth, man. I, and that was my number one go-to. Hmm. Weed or anything, I never got busted for all that. You know what I'm saying? It was amazing. People said, I don't know how you stay out of jail. You know, you got to be an informant or good. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I ain't no dang informant. That's where you learn. You know, you don't sail on nobody, man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you learn from the best out there, and I'd like to say that that's not my go-to story, but, you know, you learn from a lot of guys out there that you hung with that uh, mm-hmm. taught you how to do it pretty well. Did you ever get convicted of anything any, at any time? Yes, I've been. And should we go up into the next one? You, if you want to, go with ahead. My, I did get a hooked on uh, hypocodone, um, and uh, I had a lot of surgeries, brother. I got a new shoulder, new knee, new back, new neck. So it's full of metal. Because of got, what? Just cause, just life. Yeah. I would like to just put it to life. I've tore my body apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's nobody's fault but my own. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to deal with it. But like I said, you know, they would have a surgery, create this monster of giving me 120 hydrocodone at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would eat, I don't know, six, maybe five at a time at a sitting every four hours. That's 100 milligrams. Wow. And what, you know, because when the, when I got busted, okay, I got busted for 250 bottles. I'm not going to lie to nobody, man. I did, and I was facing 330 years. That's what they told me. Was, where was that? That was Blackhawk County. Okay, right here, here in Iowa. Here in Iowa. Yep. Yes, sir. I got busted in Evansdale at the pharmacy there. Sheriff tapped on the window. You ever got that sick feeling in your body like something's going to happen? I'm sitting here. My wife's inside, man. And I'm getting this real sick feeling. Your like, wife that I know? Yes. Layla? <laughs> yeah. Okay. She was in there getting a script for me. And uh, 
so she was in there waiting and stuff, and then the cop come up, goes pap, pap, pap on the window, and I looked over and went, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I thought I was going to puke. But I had 250 bottles in my back of my car, and they tried to convict me on every one of them. And Were you just driving around to different pharmacies? Yes, sir. Okay. Right around, I had uh, 18 pharmacies I went to. Wow. Yeah, and uh, each one I had pretty set up for this week and that week, so you had them run it on a time schedule so that nothing got behind. But then I started main thing you don't do is forget about when you took it and how how long ago was it because if you run out then they start to question things yeah so and then come to find out the you know the thing that I got in trouble with was which I won't mention that but I got in trouble they followed me and figured it out so I got arrested right away yeah but I was so hooked they put me five days in the emergency room because I was so yellow from being dehydrated I stayed in there five days they said I see a walking dead man Wow. Yeah, man. They told me there was no way. I can't believe that I'm talking to you right now. And so, like, withdrawal, to get off that kind of a habit has got to be Bad. crazy, right? It's like heroin. It, it is a modificated heroin. And uh, it would turn your belly absolutely inside out. It would make you go crazy just having to deal with it. Like, has your body pretty much recovered from that by now? Oh, yeah. I'm good. I'm straight, man. I, I don't take anything. How long any ago kind was of that? Pain pills. That's uh, back in 2006, seven, and eight. And so you you said you had 330 years? Three. I, they wanted to convict me of that. That was 10 years a pill. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, just to make it look good, I think. You know, district attorneys really wanted to fry people back then, especially for opiates, you know, because they are a bad thing. And come to find out, it's now. <laughs> All the pharmacies problems, you know, because, you know, big pharma wants to sell the most. Now they got to turn around and pay everybody back. Right. But anyway, that's a long story in itself. But um, I actually got straight when I was locked up. I had no choice. Quit smoking, <laughs> you know, quit doing things. They actually prescribed me some clonopins uh, that helps you sleep at night and kind of come down off that rehab thing. Yep. You know, because I never had a rehab. You had to deal with it. And I just lay in bed at night in that cell room just vibrating you know because I've got uh and I'm not going to mention who but there's somebody who I'm related to sure who was tied into prescription drug uh stuff like this and it's it's you know you you when you hear about drug abuse you think cocaine heroin meth weed sir um but this prescription drug side of the of the coin is and it's like you said I think you said this to me before we started recording, but yeah. what, I mean, in the person who I knew who was caught up in this, <clears throat> you got to keep taking more and more and more. More. This guy resorted to getting it from overseas yeah. illegally and got busted by basically customs when it was coming in. You know, who's it coming to? And he was writing um, fake check. He was forging checks to get money orders to buy this stuff from overseas. And, uh, so you got forgery, sure. you got illegal drugs, and that's... Yeah, the bad part was is I had the forgery thing, too. It's sort of, but like I said, you know, I'm going to go very far into that. But anyway, I got in trouble, man. And But they couldn't figure it out, really, so they had to really kind of throw that off the table. But, uh, you know, each doctor I went to, they would get a new script or whatever. I'd tell them, here, this hurts, that hurts. Well, I was so addicted, I couldn't even hardly stand it even being in there. And if they didn't help me, I got up and walked out, you know, because I had to go do something. So I'd have to resort to alcohol, try to ease that pain and that sickness. Oh, that sickness is terrible. I never wanted to. I never want to feel that ever again because it's just. 
So you said you, you were looking at 330 years. Obviously, yes, you didn't do that. So how no. much time did you do and where? And and uh, was it in a bunch of different stints? Or? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a bunch of different counties. I had a, see, like I said, I had 18 different pharmacies. I got messed up. So I had, you know, Allison County, Blackhawk. I had freaking Deven, Denver. I had, uh, you know, Evansdale. So each place had a, had a thing on me. Yep. You know, a conviction. And you had to go to each one. Well, each one wanted 15, you know, yep. 15 years. You know, but they all resorted to saying, hey, okay, whatever Blackhawk comes up with, then we'll adjoin that and did say we'll agree with it. Did you have an appointed attorney or did you hire one? Actually, you know what's funny is I did have a lawyer, and she was a lawyer. She is now a judge now. Huh. So it's so cool. Andrew Dreyer. Huh. And I love that woman. She's a great lady. And uh, she'd seen me. We went back in one time when my kid got, you know, I'm not trying to blow this out of here, but my son, I went into court with him, and Andrew was the judge. She goes, oh, Mike. She knew me. And I'm like, who? And I looked at her, and I said, oh, my Lord. I said, I can't believe. She goes, you staying good? I said, I'm straight. <laughs> she goes, that's good. That's awesome. So so you end up doing time in all these counties? Yeah, I did or some. You just did it like in, three wow. weeks in Bremer. I did uh, probably, I'd say, eight, nine days in just... Just to subtotal you to get the court dates. Yep. You know, they basically they would do that. I spent the longest, I think, in Blackhawk County, which was a couple of months, mm-hmm. you know. But by the all said and done, it's probably six or eight months, you know. And From then, 330 years down to six or eight months. Yes. I mean, yes. They give me 15 years deferred. Like they told me if I got in trouble with a pill or a bottle or anything again, I would do a solid 15 years, and then I could see the light of day. Is that still a thing now? That is still a thing. Well, no, not now. No? Nope. I gotta admit that man. The, the state of Iowa said that you're a modern citizen again, Mr. Reynolds, and I said I appreciate that. I think it probably still stays in there somewhere, but they told yeah. me that you know I have no restitution, I have no fines, I have no probation. I I went through it all, did it all. Can you vote now? I can. Sweet. Yeah, I'm still a felon. Can't own a gun, which I'm pretty upset about that. But it wasn't a harmful crime, but you know they still won't let me do that. So that was not in Iowa. What's that? The gun thing. No. No, California? Yeah, that was way back before I even Okay. Came I, I was going to ask you, yeah. is that the only time, this drug stuff, is that the only time you were in, in jail or prison? Or? Yes, sir. Okay. That's the only time I ever went. All my drugs, everything else that I ever did, I just always escaped them by one day or three so, weeks or whatever. So, I don't know. So you can be a felon and not do time? You can be a felon because, you know what, you it's a federal crime. So when it's a federal crime, you get convicted of something. That means you you carry that felon with you. Yeah. You know, whether you do it lots of time or a short time, you can become a felon really fast. And I think that's the way they kind of outcasted people, hmm. you know, because there's more felons there is people. You know what I mean? Mm. And the yeah. one big story they always said, you come on come to Blackhawk on vacation, you leave on probation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that was an ongoing story. But now I don't think, I, I think I am technically on the quiet low end, but I think I could go in and get that exonerated, you know, yeah. if I asked the judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And I could ask uh, Mrs. Reynolds there. Yeah, yeah, that's know. right. I told you got her, the we same got the name. same name. I said, come on, we got to be family somewhere. Can you jot this off? Of me? Did, did you meet her and tell her that? No, I wish I could. Yeah. I haven't yet, but I should. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got an amazing story. You, you said that the Lord was kind of tapping on you. Yes. Kind of throughout your life, would you say? Throughout my life, yes. He always did. Every time I said there was no God in this planet, he would, bam, he'd tap on my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and I knew that he was because, and I knew it was wrong. But I'm going to tell you something, man. It just like, and then the devil would take over, and it's like, no, man, look, you're in this godforsaken country, town. 
you know, this is our domain. Go get yours. Get that. Get this. I couldn't hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a friend that we went in a car one time driving. I was going to have you tell this story. Yes, this is sir. We story. were driving down the road, and they picked me up. So each couple of friends, one just got out of prison. For Where is this at? Uh, California. Mm -hmm. And uh, San Bernardino, as a matter of fact. And uh, just got out, so we were going to party. I said, cool, let's go party. You know, party. And, and uh, so they said, well, we got to go to the store real quick. And something, I just started getting that feeling again, that sickness. said, get out of the car, man. you got to get out of this car. What, is, what time of day is this? Like This the, is a nice, night? Uh, no, sunny day, about a little afternoon, blue skies, beautiful day, man. That's why I was outside just trying down the road, you know, heading somewhere. I can't remember, but... Uh, you know, then we got in the car and went there. And I thought they had money. I seriously did. Now, I had a couple bucks myself, but they went in there, had a 22 pistol, held this girl up. Okay, this is after I got out of the car two blocks away. And why'd you found get out? out? Because God told me to. It has to be. But you're not a believer at this point. No, I'm not a believer at all. But something told me flat out, get out of that car. I said, hey, pull over. How many people are in this car? Four. You're the fourth? I was the fourth. And you tell him to pull over. I told him to pull over and let me out. I said, if you come back around later, man, we'll hook up or something. Be because but you I were just, going to do something else or because you literally sensed because I had sensed to get it. out? I had to get out. There was something that just wasn't right. And it just beat me badly. So I got out, but come to find out, man, they shot and killed the clerk. Like just how long over later? Over 11 cases of beer. Wow. And, okay. And that found out that that woman was 22 years old. And I found out, too, that she just sat on the counter and let him get what they wanted, and he still shot and killed her. I have a friend still doing life in San Quentin right now. For that. He went in at 17 years old because he was guilty by association. And you would have been, too, right? I would have been, too. Me and him both would have been in Quentin how, right now. How long after you got out of the car did they pull over and do that? Uh, it was two blocks down the road further. But wow. I didn't. I was already gone down the road because I didn't want to. I just something just told me to get away, man. Wow. You know, because this guy, every time he went to prison, he'd get out on parole. They'd let him back out after eleven months. He would fatten up, get all strong, come out, get on meth, PCP. And they'd do what he wanted to until he got caught. And once he got caught, brother, back in he went. Three squares a meal, and he'd just roll with it. That's the way it's institutionalized. You can't really do much about that. When they feel they can't make it in life, they can always go back. And so he's obviously doing life for uh, that? Yes, he'll never see the light of day. I mean, is that capital? That's I don't know. See, back then, I don't really understand what's going on with that situation. You know, I really don't. It's been so long. But I know that the guy that pulled the trigger ain't never coming out. The other one was supposed to have 25 to life. Now, I don't know if he's able to get that. It's been way over 20 years, man. Did you say, so one of your friends that just got out was part of that? Uh, yes. He was the one that was driving and the one that shot the person. And he got out? And No, he did not get no, out. No, no. That one has never got out. The yeah. other one might have, the other buddy of mine that was in the car. Mm. Like I said, he was 17 years old. He was just going in to grab some beer and run out the door. And then the third person? Yeah. He... I don't even know what happened to that cat. I think he took off, too, before this went down. Because I think when he pulled that trigger, pulled the gun out, he was like, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And when he went out, he ran down the street. Because where the store was, it was like a field, a couple of houses, and then mm -hmm. the roads, you know. So I think he beelined it that way. Could you? Because only two of them got convicted. If, if you had to, and I mean, I'm not, I'm just curious. Yeah. Could, could you point out the store right now? 
Oh, yeah. You know exactly where it is. I at. know exactly right where it is. Do you think there's one still there? You haven't been out there for a while. Possibly. I haven't been out there in probably 25, 28 years. Wow. Yeah. But it was the biggest store that we had, Circle K. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it got so bad, you know, that, I mean, when you wanted beer, they just went over and sat down. We would come in and take the beer. I did it all the time when I was 18 years old, 16, 21. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't have anything, so we just went in. If we wanted something, we went and got it. Mm-hmm. And they'd just sit down. Yeah. the cops after we left right you know? right but uh wow you know it's just that was before cameras and all that happy yep. hoopla so who uh how, how do you come to the point you're in blackhawk county now fast forwarding back to that yeah 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 by the way filling in the gap between california and and iowa yes sir just filling a little the gap. bit okay so I filled in the gap. I went to Illinois for a long time, okay, from California. Mm-hmm. I decided to change my life. I came back, went to, excuse me, I went to uh, Illinois, got myself a job at Cracker Barrel, had mm-hmm. a few kids, um, kind of got up, you know, and the, the wife thing went south on that. We were just always partying. That's mm-hmm. all we ever did, working party. So anyway, then I moved back to Iowa. met a girl in Illinois, and she lived... Her family was out here, so mm-hmm. we decided to move back here in 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how to fill that gap. I yep. mean, it was kind of a kind of an interesting thing, but it's really non-eventful. Kind of, it's just you kind of live life doing yep. the old trailer thing yep. and everything. You know. Just, so you get rung up for these hydrocodones or or whatever. Yes, sir. And then, how does that? You're not a Christian by that point, right? No. So to, I, I, let me let me rewind that. I was. See, my wife, she's the one that helped me bring me to the Lord, but I was a beginning to kind of want to get into it. Didn't bury my old body back and bring yep. up new life, and yep. get, you know, baptize and ask him yet at that point. So you were more, um, you know, if I were to summarize this. Yes. Back when you were younger, you're exposed to the church through your granny. Yes. You're exposed to some fire and brimstone preaching. Yeah. Um, anytime you got in a really tough spot, you're like, there's no way God exists. Yeah. But then at the same time, he's kind of knocking on your life once in a while. Yeah. Like through this getting out of the car thing or whatever. He would beat on me, man. I'll tell you, it's a thump. And and so now what you're describing is you're, you're more open to pursuing Christianity than you ever have been, but you're just, you're not a follower of Christ. You're not, you haven't um, received him, believed in his name, that kind of stuff. No, my wife had some friends, cousins, and uh, they were, you know, he was studying to be a pastor, which I had no problem with that. And I thought, I told him if that's what you want to do, but he'd give me a Bible. So when he gave me a Bible, man, it kind of made me want to read. I'd get bored at night. Why not? Let's see what this thing's all about, you know. And uh, so, but then I just put it right back down and go back and do whatever I, you know, did normally all the time. Nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but uh, that's where I was kind of exposed to it, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, very interesting, man. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. And then I came to here, Cedar Falls. Anyway, we got here. We decided to go to church, and you know, Crystal, our family's, Brett's the one. How I got the job here, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, you know. Anyway, go ahead. So talk about that job. Explain to people who don't know what the, I know. Yes, but yeah, the job here was a custodial job kind of thing. I, by that time, brother, I'm gonna tell you that was after. All the problems with the pills, all the problems with jail and everything. Mm-hmm. I got saved. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got saved, but I thought, you know, okay, well, I got saved. I don't really feel any different. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't find the Technicolor and the real deal, and me and God didn't really meet till we came to Nazareth Church, mm-hmm. okay, in Cedar Falls. 
And when I got the job here, I got a job I had to 32 counts. You know, when you look up my background, it's pretty sick. Mm. Because um, what was her name that used to be the head of the church? Uh, not the one that's in here now, Sally, Sally Young. Sally Young, yep. Sally Young, she looked at me and she's, Mike, your history is terrible. And you want a job here? And yeah, oh yeah, she looked at me like I'm I was laughing crazy. because I know Sally yes, and I, I can imagine that perfectly. But I'll tell you something about her, man, which was amazing. I said, listen, Sally, she goes, you had a pretty bad life, man, you know? And I said, well, if you can't accept me now for being a changed man and wanting to make a better life for myself and want to do it here in this church, you know, I'm not here to steal nothing. I'm not here to to make anything. I said, I want to know the Lord more and, and this, what would be a better place than to do it in a church? Mm. She hired me the next day. So before we get into the, when the color came. Yes, sir. Um, you said you were saved. Uh, talk about that. And, and looking back on it, do you think you really were saved? I don't really think so. So I, that's so, fine. So explain that. Well, the reason why, because I was reading the Bible, I thought, okay, so I'm going to get into this. You know, me and God, I talked to him, you know, like I said. And I thought maybe I was a Christian, maybe I wasn't. I don't, I don't really know because it, it felt, kind of felt like if I studied into it, you know, it never really made much sense. The Bible wasn't coming clear, you know, different things. That's why it stayed this kind of the black and white thing because it wasn't changing me. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess I expected a miracle to pop up out of there, you know, and it didn't pop up yet. And mm -hmm. it clearly I don't think God was, he didn't think I was ready. You know what I mean? To, to go ahead and, and show me something. You know how you get that revelation? Mm. When, Like I said, with this color thing that's coming up here, man, I I seriously, when I got here, everything started changing. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to stop, and just for the sake of our audience, I, I think that there are a ton of people, Homer Larson, who, yes. who was a preacher at Nazareth for a long time and who was the radio preacher for Christian Crusaders for 50 years, that's the ministry under which this podcast exists. Yes. Um, Homer was adamant about this, and I think it's totally true. There are a ton of people who would call themselves Christians who do not have a personal faith in Christ yeah. and are therefore not really Christians. So so one of the things I say over and over in podcasts, in our daily devotions, all this stuff, is to clarify this. Like, So what is it? take to be a believer? What does it take to be born again? What does it take to be saved? And it doesn't take being exposed to the church. It's not that. No. It's not going through a bunch of Christian rituals like uh, being baptized or Book taking or... communion or knowing a lot about the Bible or right. being confirmed, going to Sunday school. Uh, it's totally faith in Jesus Christ. So right. there's a couple passages in Scripture. John one twelve says, to those who received him... And to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So there's one description of what it takes to be saved. Sure. Receive Jesus, believe in his name. There's another right. passage in Romans 10, 9 that says, if you believe in your heart, I'm sorry, if you confess with your mouth, mouth yes. that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So there's another little kind of filter to put ourselves through. Do I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? Yeah, I do. Yes, do, do I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. So then I'll be saved. That has nothing to say about reading the Bible or being around a church or hanging out with Christians or knowing a lot about Bible stories. That doesn't save you. You know, it's like I tell a lot of people, well, I'm a good person. Well, that's great that you're a good person, but don't you know Jesus Christ personally? Yeah. 
You know, that's and, that and relationship actually, that you need to have. And actually, the answer is, no, you're not that good of a no, person. you're not that good of a person. That's you, you right. You think you are because you're measuring yourself against everyone else. That's right. But and that ain't the standard. Just because you show up on church every Sunday doesn't mean you're a Christian, man. I mean, you may give money and that kind of thing because, you know what, you've been doing it for 30 years. Yep. The same old thing. Well, that doesn't make you any better or any worse right now. You know what I mean? What you got to do is have a personal relationship with God. And, and like I said, you know, he give me that opportunity and I didn't even follow it through then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when I was on that jail floor, you know, and a lot of people become Christians when you're in jail. Mm. Okay. Because that's what happens. Oh, he just, they called me preacher Mike because I carried around a Bible all the time. And why did I do that? Because Christians should have. <laughs> yeah. I, I did it for, to help people out that are facing time in the joint for a long time. Tried to give them something to believe in man mm-hmm. because they have nothing. There's nothing, no one. You're, it's only you mm-hmm. and the devil, of course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that's what I did. They called me Preacher Mike because I could help them. If I couldn't figure it out, we'd look it up together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do that. You know? When was that? That was way back when I got busted in 2006. So, but is that is that before you would say you got saved? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's interesting. Still that black and white thing. I knew he was there, brother. I knew he was there. But and you're even carrying a Bible not, around. Yes. I carried a Bible, man, that old tore-up thing. <laughs> you know, they're always in the, uh, like I would call them, you know, the Great Bar Motel. They always had one in there. Mm. You know, it was tore up. Some passages missed, you know, um, wrote in, you know. and But um, I had it, but I read it because, now I'll tell you the honest truth. I read it because I was bored. Mm. <laughs> That's what happened when I started reading it and stuff, you know. But I talked to God, and, and I think he just, I don't think he knew I was ready. Because he just knows, well, you know how God is, man. He knows what's going on, past, present, future. Totally. You know, totally got that under grips. And he's looking at me, I think, and laughing, going, Mike, you ain't ready, man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I always talk to God all the time like that, man. You know, he's my best friend, man. So how did you get to the point where you actually received Christ? When I got this job here, I actually, after my back surgery, I got a back surgery in 2010. And I did take hydrocodone and everything else, but when it was done, it was done. Yeah. The only reason why I did it, because I got rods and screws in my back. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, and I worked here at that time, and then got my job back, and I came back to work. You know, so I actually finally got educated and grew up about that kind of stuff, you know, but... And then all of a sudden, you know, they asked me, Matt Holford is the one that asked me on Easter if I would do a video, you know, because of, you know, my tattoos and, you know, I've got tattoos all over the place and how I acted and I'm so upbeat and blah, blah, blah. And you always tell them, you know, hey, man, you know, this is all God, man. This ain't, he's the one that saved me, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was the, that's where the color came in, you know, because I don't know, I'd be working and you'd see the eyes of people and I love this congregation here, you know, and these poor older folks are starting to, pass and go home but you know it was just a beautiful thing and then all of a sudden you get this revelation man and bam god hit me dude everything just flew open you know i i I can't even explain it but i just understood and and knowing that he saved my soul man Mm -hmm. you know and you know how it is once you get saved the good works comes from in you you know, because the Holy Spirit, once he hits you, you just want to do good. Right. It's a free gift. He didn't ask you for no wage or, you yep. know, something you've got to barter and trade with. He give this to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was very appreciative for that. Mm-hmm. You know, because knowing that I'm going home, you mm-hmm. know, I ain't got to worry about living in this planet. And it's not God forsaken anymore because now I know. Yeah. You know, we did this. 
Yeah. Not God. Yeah, we made it a mess. We, we made, it, made it a mess. We made it the the dull roar. That's right. We made it all that dull. Bleh. You know, you could, I don't know. It's just like I said, you know, it's kind of a odd story because, you know, Homer Larson was a very, very big influential person. I have his confirmation Bible from 1941, by the way. His? Yes. Wow. Yeah, How'd you end up his, with that? You the library was shutting down. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I took it. <laughs> no. Actually, when they shut down the library, it was in the library. When they wow. were giving away books, it was in a uh, in a box. Wow! And I went through and looked at it and found Homer Larson's name in there, nineteen forty one. When he was confirmed, I think I don't know how old he was or what had happened, but it just said Homer Larson, nineteen forty one on it. Wow! And I still got it. It's in plastic in my house, man. That's cool. I, I you know what? I, I like to say this too. On top of it, man, I knew when Homer passed. Yeah. Because I was going to go visit him the day before, and when I woke up the next morning, he was gone, and, and God told me. It was just like, Homer's not there no more. And wow. I was like, what? And then I find out Homer died. Yeah. I was just blown away. He was a big influence to me, man. I We used to do Bible studies together in the morning. Yeah. Or yeah. Just, were you part of that with all those other guys, like on Thursday yeah. mornings? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We'd go in there, and we'd all talk. You got a story about helping uh, Eunice out. <laughs> Tell that story. Yeah. So, and, and that was kind of how you first met him. That's how I first met him. Yes, sir. That's and how then, we became friends. And then he ended up kind of telling your story on the radio. Yeah, he told me, don't judge a book by its cover. I got to find that program. And, said, and we'll put it, we're going to find that sermon or that Sunday program yes. that Mike is referring to. And we'll we'll link it in the show notes of this podcast so people can go back and hear it. But I haven't found it yet. I haven't taken the time to look That's for okay. it. That's okay. I get that too. It's probably ways back. So tell the story. But uh, so anyway... I'm sitting here, and we're doing a custodial. That's what I was doing. I was emptying garbage and things like that. And I looked outside. Cadillac pulls right up the old front doors right here. You know, Homer, he did what he wanted, man, basically. Yeah, it wasn't really the front doors. It was like a sidewalk. But yeah, it was a, yeah pretty much a <laughs> sidewalk. He'd just drive right up. And he was out there fiddling, fiddling around in the car, and, you know, and I seen him had a wheelchair there. And I looked again, and he's struggling, man. I just ran out the door, and I said, hey, brother, come on, man. Let me help you get her out. So I reached up underneath her, grabbed her by her back. Man, he just backed up, eyes big around as half dollars. I picked her up, I turned her around, and I put her in a wheelchair. You're talking about his wife, Eunice. Yes. She was just, she was looking at me, and then she smiled. And I said, God bless you, man. You know, that's what I'm here for is to help. And, That's uh, awesome. It blew his mind. He was then he did a radio thing on. So me then, I mean, did you end up having some conversation after that where he heard your story? He must um, have. And then, the, and then, well, the this the story part, I don't. I don't know. He just did it on me. I, because that's when Matt Holford, after that, on Easter, decided to do this whole video. And they did it all three services. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember watch, that. Yeah, watch me up on the screen, you know, which is wild. But, you know, and I got to tell you, too, Matt, I mean, God helped me in many other areas. I'm just not there. You know, he helped us have babies. My wife couldn't have kids. Mm. And they told me no way, you know, but I told God's bigger. We mm. chose to tell him that, and I would see it all the time. They had a two and a half year waiting list, waiting just to even get seen. Mm. And I said, well, we went home and prayed on that, brother. She called us the next day, said, you got an appointment next week. She said, I don't know how it happened, but you have an appointment. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, that one got me. That's awesome. Uh, how many kids do you and Layla have? We have four. Yeah. And that was uh, Josie. And uh, God told us, man, you're gonna have a baby. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? We have four, three more. <laughs> Incredible. But, yeah. And Jonah, he was, you know, Jonah was the last one, but or no, Johanna's the last one. Jonah was the one in between. He, We spent six months of our lives with Jonah in Iowa City. 
he was a preemie micro. So anyway, we've had an interesting life. Was there a moment where, you know, some people can say, you know, in retrospect, I gave my life to Christ or I, I received Christ at a certain moment in a specific time that I remember. My story is a little more gradual. Like I was raised in the church. I was raised around this stuff. There's not really a day of my life where I didn't believe in Jesus, but it was around seventh or eighth grade when I remember having an experience at camp and maybe kind of around there sure. um, where I, I realized like, man, I need to make a personal commitment. I, I, I need to have personal faith in Christ. Yes. Um, kind of like, it's not my parents, it's not my church, it's not my pastor, it's not my friends. It's got to be me. Yes, sir. But I, I can't give you a date and time. I can't either. But you just kind of gradually grew into it. And today you know that you're saved, obviously. Yes, and and you also think that back when you thought you were saved way early, you maybe weren't. No. Yeah, I don't think I was at all. I mean, honestly, or I never thought very serious on it. Mm -hmm. You know, because life gets in the way. And I've always was taught when I was in, if you wanted something, you go get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then after I got saved, I'm like, everybody says, trust God, trust God. Well, I ain't got time to sit around waiting for that. You know, that's the way I was. Like, me and God <laughs> ain't nobody like, got time for that. Yeah, we ain't got time for that. I got to go make some money now. And we'll come to find out, you know, he was there this whole time. Yeah. You know, that's why I come into the play of the Technicolor because he reminded me of things he'd done for me and things he had me and got me. And it just, and then poof, it just went, whoa. And then I said, is this alive or Memorex? You know, it's like that. I just never seen anything like it. And like I said, after that, my, my life has never been black and white. It's all been color after that, man. Mm -hmm. I have never seen a more brighter time. And this world is full of chaos, but I see all the beauty. Mm. I still don't see it. I mean, even though, you know, because I put all my full faith and trust in God. I don't question anything. Mm. I don't question nothing when it comes to God anymore. There is just no way. I know he'll take care of it. May not be in my time, mm. but it'll be his time, and it'll be the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody Amen. said, "I don't know how you can have faith like that." I said, "Well, why? He's been there entire life. He ran you through this story in this series. You know, that's why I always said, you know, I don't care what happened then, man. Now, but it's an interesting story. Yeah. But where I'm at now, it's phenomenal. I, I got a job now, man. I'll tell you this honestly: that I couldn't go to church, and I got a little upset about that because I have to work on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I do 12-hour shifts and couldn't go to church. Well, all of a sudden, church pops up and says, we got to do pop-up church. You want to come? What time is it? 6.30. Hmm. So right when I get off work, so I've been able to go to church. Awesome. I asked God, I said, we got to set something up, bro. I mean, you know, Dad, you got to help me out here. He did. That's awesome. I'll be so what do you, Lord, he did. What do you see your calling being right now? Your your father, your husband, that's I integral to it. Me and myself and I, I like to be me. I, I do, I, I tithe. I give to all kinds of things. You know, I take, um, uh, you know, went to the concerts probably a few years ago. I've been taking care of these kids in, uh, what is it? Indonesia or somewhere, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I help take care of them. I do help, okay? Yeah. You know, when you give your money out, God always sends it back, man. Mm. It doesn't matter, man. You know, Malachi at stage, put me the test, man. Give me up that 10%. I'll show you what's up. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the way it is. And God does take care of you. You know, but it, it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a, it's almost like a high, man. You can't get a high like that mm -hmm. anywhere else. You know, so we like to help. We like to do that kind of thing. I don't see myself anywhere, and that's my trunk. I'm still hunting. Mm -hmm. I used to do a thing on Facebook every morning at 4 a.m. Are morning. you not doing that anymore? I'm not doing that anymore. Because I remember my, seeing that. Yeah, my uh, my hours changed, but I'm going to get back into it because whether I help one or six, 
it doesn't matter. Yeah, what were you doing there? Tell um, what I do is get up and do a Bible study on something I read in the Bible that morning. Mm-hmm. So we would go on, we talk about real life and apply it to that. Mm-hmm. You know, about how God treated you or what's going to go on that day. Don't have any ups, downs, in case. Just have a steady grace look upon what God can do for you, mm-hmm. you know, or where you can help. And I always used to tell them, and I ended my story with, come on, man, we know what to do, right, folks? What do you do? You go out, you hold a door for somebody. Open a car door, carry some groceries, give somebody a cup of coffee, tell them they look nice today. Mm. And I said, you could change a life that way. Mm. And that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you said you're kind of, right now, you don't know exactly w- what you're calling or your place is. No, sir. What do you, what would you like it to be? Or what do you, what, what do you dream about? <laughs> what I dream about? In, in man, terms of spiritual influence. You know, spiritual influence, I'd never really have. You know, and I'll tell you, that's funny, man, because like I said, I study this thing every day. Mm-hmm. Every day I get up at 5.30 in the morning, whether I'm working or I'm not, I open that Bible. I write my wife a whole Bible verse, okay, on a piece of paper, and I tell her I love her and have a great day. Mm-hmm. And I write that, man, and leave it on the table for when I take off, but I even do it when I'm off. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I do. I think the more nourishment I'm getting, God will point it out once it's time. Yeah, amen. And I think He's got a road for me. I just don't know what road. Mm-hmm. Um, all I know is I upbeat people. Mm-hmm. I tell them God loves them. I try to talk about God every single day at work. I work at Target mm-hmm. distribution, mm-hmm. and uh, I talk about God all the time. Man. Mm-hmm. I even give guys some Bibles. Maybe that's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you think that because the way because of your past and frankly because the way you look yes that you have an audience with people who like a guy like me wouldn't yeah i i think so i think we get the uh you know like i always said man we're we're part of the uh, lost degenerates the ones jesus hunted for is ones i deal with mm. the ones i like to talk to i had a whole group of guys i'll tell you this is wild and i'm not doing this for me but i'm doing this for them they wouldn't talk to anybody and they were all guys worked back in the back in the pallets i started my first day what up man how you guys doing? Now they raise their hands. They come and shake my hand every single day. Hmm. And they wouldn't talk to anybody before. And I do that because, you know what? You show them where God, how he, Jesus Christ makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And he makes me feel absolutely fantastic every day. So I want to spread that. That's where that good thing comes out mm-hmm. of. You know, I think I ray, a ray color, you know, because God give me the color. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to share that color. I, I don't care who you are. I worked for somebody who had a pretty radical transformation, a radical testimony, you know, from dark, dark to light, light. Yes, sir. And she was very open about that and talked about the Lord all the time. Um, And I kind of one time said, I wish I had a testimony like yours because I just kind of gradually grew up in the faith and it was just kind of nothing too exciting, but just kind of gradual growth. Um, and she said, "No, no, no! Don't, don't no. wish that. That, that's not." And she, she kind of reprimanded me. Said, "The Lord wants for people. The, the Lord's design, if you could, I mean, His design for you was to do you. Yes, but sir. it's just kind of like this kid, nurtured in a stable Christian family, taught the Word of God, gradually grows in the faith. Um, but regardless of how our testimonies play out, yes, sir." They definitely set us up, and God uses them to give us influence in ways that we couldn't have influence if we had a different testimony. Right. And so... Dude, you're known everywhere. I, I, anywhere in the state of Iowa, yeah, they know no, Mr. Matt Reeser. That's that, not that's, true. That, that is true. That's, I've heard your name and your dad's name and your family 
a lot. And that does not say anything just try to make you look good. But you seriously, you're out there. You're a man of God, bro. And that's why I like you so much. I love you. You're a good dude. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm a little a great, embarrassed. But... Great family. And don't ever. Yeah, like she said, I'm almost going to reprimand you right now. You know, <laughs> Just kidding. But seriously, man, it doesn't matter if you think you led a boring life and got to where you are. It's not boring. You're mm -hmm. here for a reason. Yeah. Because God wanted us here. This is part of our story. Amen. You know what I mean? So I just thought I had to yeah. say that because I love you, man. What, what would you say? And you've kind of said it already. Yeah. But what would you say to somebody who might hear this going, man, I don't know if God exists. And even if he does, I mean, look mm -hmm. at my life. There is no way. Uh, well, I mean, I'd be saying that just don't even run with that, man. I'm going to tell you something, man. You get down on your knee and you don't. And I get on my knee every single morning and I thank God for everything I have. And I do that. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not alone out there. You just got to look up. If you look up and not out. Yeah. God is there. Okay, God has been there. He has never left us or forsake us. He would never leave us alone, but you got to ask him. He can't do anything unless you talk to him, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, God can do it all, but don't get me wrong about what I mean. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't think that God wanted me, period, either, brother. I really didn't until I made that serious get down and got serious about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to let God know, man, that you're not in there just for the game. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in there for you. Yeah. And you are the only one. Were you ever suicidal? Oh, yeah. I've tried it a couple of times. I mean, that's kind of an out-of-the-blue question that I it didn't tell you. It is kind of out-of-the-blue, but, but yeah, I sliced my wrist one time being stupid and 17 years old, bled all over the place. They still caught me on time, and I had to spend my time. And You know, it was just a bad time in, in, in my life, and it was a very, and now that I look at it now, stupid. The way I think about things, and I know people have these problems, depression doesn't fly with me. I don't. Mm -hmm. God's there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why are you going to be depressed? You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I really don't see it because God makes your day. Every dead buddy has a bad day. Of course. Okay, obviously, we're human. A bad season. Yes, we have seasons. And that's another thing. It just brought me up into that. I've been studying about that, the seasons of life where you get plenty and seasons of nothing. And I went through more seasons of nothing, okay, than I have now. And God's made it very plentiful for me. And I thank him for that fully and wholeheartedly for my family, my wife, my job, the things I have. You know, he's supplied all that. Mm -hmm. And yes, you could take it away tomorrow, Lord. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't matter a bit to me because mm -hmm. you can't take it to heaven, man. Right. You know what I mean? You're not going to want that. You're going <laughs> to want that's your right. soul. And that's it. You know, I try to tell everybody, you can't take it with you, man. I don't know why you think you need all that. Hmm. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, I mean, trust me, you get blessed with things. If you want something on this earth, you ask God for it. And he gives to you. That's yours. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Family, cars, home, whatever. Some live in more abundant than others. I think, you know, that world hunger would be gone if one rich person or you know, maybe 10 rich people, I'm sorry, they'd give a million dollars. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have hunger. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Why? You can't take it with you. I'll write you a check for the whole thing and throw it in your casket, and then I'll go feed the hungry. Right. You know, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. I get pretty freaked out about this. You know, they want that total earthly world reset thing, and I'm like, yeah, give me a break. God's going to reset it. Just hang on. Totally. We. Uh, my hope is that this interview will reach somebody who's um, kind of feels like there's no way that the Lord would use them. They're not even sure the Lord exists. Uh, they've got a family past or a law-breaking past, not or a good future, or an addiction yeah. past that that they go, man. Uh, here's a guy 
who had all that and yeah. that the Lord is using. Um, I think a great way to close this, and again, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but I think you're up you're to all it. Right. W- would you just pray? Yeah, uh, definitely and, will. And, and I would just pray however the Spirit leads, but I'm thinking of maybe there's a listener or two out there who needs some encouragement, yes, needs sir. to find Christ. Definitely. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this uh, morning, mid-afternoon now, but we ask you to help show people, Lord, and hopefully this message gets to folks that don't have anything or think that they're near the edge and and they just have no way out and to let them know and let them see that you are the way out you're the way to everything and uh just like you showed me show Matt, you showed all these folks mm-hmm. you know somewhere that there is going to be help for them there's help there's ways around it you know you just sit down i'd like to see the people come to you just get on a knee and say hey lord come help me I mean, you ain't even got to do nothing, people, just to say, hey, you know, scream. God, I need you. I mean, he'll be there. He's never left you anyway. But, you know, just to be with them all, just like you were with me. And I really, really appreciate and I love you, God, so much. So, and everybody out there, I'd just like to say, too, you know, uh, you guys just, if you listen to this, man, take it to heart. Just run with it, man. Because, you know what? God is there for you, you know, and he'll never leave you. Just ask him. And uh, we just thank you for this podcast. Thank you for Matt. Let me come to do this. And we love you. Praise the Lord. You're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us, Mike. Hey, no problem, brother. Anytime, y'all. Anytime. The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are 100% tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you. And thanks again for listening.